Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. Hey, what's going on? Coach Luca here with the Vigor Life Podcast and a Boeing train going in the background. I feel like that could be the intro. But today we're here with none other than Chris Toomes. And what you know, what's so awesome about about Chris that number one, we'll dig in kind of uh, you know Chris's background, but that he's the strength and conditioning coach for the Seattle SeaWolves, which we've partnered with. So they're they're here for four days a week training at Vigor Ground, um, you know, going pretty savage, which is fantastic. Last year's champions, this year's champions. See what I did there? See what I did there? Yeah, this year's champions too. Returning champions. Um, but but Chris has a wealth of uh, knowledge and experience in the world of strength and conditioning, and um, we we kind we have like all these. Um, great conversations just being here at the gym you know talking training and everything else and uh and i was like man i gotta get you on a podcast to you know share some of this wisdom and go down a rabbit hole we don't know where we're gonna go i, I never have this scripted as you guys know um so but what i wanted to start with is like your uh, kind of a timeline a little bit of of your career because i really think that asking somebody and seeing where they come from gives so much more insight on the uh, you know, the wisdom that you have. For instance, like I, if somebody's, you know, uh, never trained, I don't know, 40 kids in a high school, but theoretically they know a lot of stuff and they're telling me and then I hear what they have or haven't done. I take it with a lot of, you know, grain of salt because it's like, oh, okay, so you read a book about it. <laughs> okay, but what, what about if I gave you a team of, you know, 75, 80 football players or rugby players or whatever else? And, and, you know, I, and I, I know enough about you, but I'd like to actually know even more as far as like, you know, your career and strength and conditioning to get a little bit of, a, of, a, of an insight. Great. Yeah, thanks. Well, first and foremost, it's a pleasure to be on. It's pretty humbling, actually. Um, yeah, I just want to reinforce the kind of conversations we have downstairs have been great so far. So, you know, hopefully this will add a little bit more depth to, to some of that for the listening group. Um, the short version or the long version? 25 years uh, in, the, in the strength and conditioning industry. Um, I'll go as kind of smoothly as possible. Um, doing a degree going back into the early 90s, they didn't have strength and conditioning degrees back then, so I did exercise science and um, yep. human movement studies as my kind of formal education. Uh, seven years in the private sector, so I worked as a uh, personal trainer for seven years before. Um, see, I, that, I, I didn't see that's why I wanted to ask you this because I didn't know that, but that's great. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of return yeah, to that. We can go too. back yeah, to that. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, it's actually one of the most, and I say this as a strength and conditioning coach, and I don't really differentiate myself as a strength and conditioning coach or Agreed. a personal trainer. Agreed. Yep. But um, that's another rabbit hole that we can possibly mm -hmm. go down to. But um, the reality of that particular experience one, it was great. I lived in London as a young guy, 20 something, um, enjoyed that experience. But I think one of the things that really resonated with me on reflection from that particular area was that I learned to deal with a multitude of people from company CEOs to actually young young athletes. So a very, very broad spectrum of people and connect with different people from different backgrounds and some extremely wealthy people, some extremely diligent athletes. So it was a really, really kind of great learning experience from a people and delivery standpoint. So that was the kind of first seven years of my, of my professional career in the fitness industry. Um, I literally did a speculative um, application one day to a professional rugby team in, in England called uh, Leicester Tigers. Leicester yep. Tigers happened to win, or sorry, Leicester Tigers uh, had seven or eight high profile, very high profile England rugby players at the time. 2003, England won the Rugby World Cup. So I was kind of immersed in the sort of, ac uh, the sort of um, academy and the first team kind of delivery of strength and power prescriptions. So, so essentially like you mean the junior teams, right? Like... Uh 
the younger team? Yeah, the so academy the, the, is the, the academy team. is sort of the under-21 age yep, group, yep. and then they f- they feed into the, the sort of fully professional team. Yep. But the fully professional team at that point had just come off winning the championship in England four times in a row and also winning the European competition like the Champions League yep. in soccer two years in a row as well. So they had not just these eight England players, but probably 20 or 25 really, really high-quality um, internationals from all over the world as well. And again, it was one of those weird situations that... Um, as is the way, as is the way with professional sport, the head, the head coach for, for whatever reason at that time, um, got removed from his position along with eleven senior staff. There was um, there was two of us actually who kind of survived that, that kind of transitional period. But within a year, both of us had moved on to other professional teams as well. So I, worked then down in Wales in Cardiff for the Cardiff Blues, doing a multitude of roles from again the academy straight straight, straight through to sort of senior strength and conditioning coach with the with the main program in the fully professional league. And I guess that's kind of where I, if I, if I was going to say I made my name, that's kind of where I made my name with developing physically some of the kind of Welsh rugby's, I guess, premier talent over the last 10 or 12 years. Some of them just retiring now. Um, you still get texts from guys who are kind of going into their 30s who are kind of on the back end of their career saying how valuable some of the stuff they did in their early 20s was, which is pretty fulfilling as a coach, as, you, as you know. Um, so that takes us to around about 2013. Um, I was very fortunate and, and blessed to marry an American. Um, so, so again, I guess from, from my, from my, from my, from my kind of career progression and transition, um, I'd done nine years at the Cardiff Blues. And at that point in time, I'd done, a, like I say, I'd done a multitude of roles from, from developing young players to working on the coalface with the, with the first team. Won a few trophies in professional rugby, which was, again, pretty satisfying. But uh, yeah, the family decided to sort of take a take a hit and cross the pond to, to Seattle 1.0. So <laughs> Seattle 1.0, I worked for a rugby organization, bearing in mind professional rugby in, in North America didn't exist at that point in time. So 2014, 2015, I worked for a company called Atavis, who I guess predominantly looking to build rugby's profile in North America mm-hmm. through a, a multitude of domains and one of them was alignment with the USA national team and supporting some of the challenges around that very fortunate that I trained a couple of athletes who had ambitions to go to the Rio Olympics one of whom managed to go through and uh, compete for USA in the sevens competition in Rio which was again a very satisfying moment in the on the female women's program which is awesome one of the best athletes from a diligence and professional habit standpoint that I've ever come across so again from my point of view as a coach learning from athletes as much as me trying to impart a level of knowledge and a level of wisdom experience on them some of those people are teaching me about how to really prepare as a, as properly and as effectively as possible and there's a few other athletes of, of bygone years who've done exactly the same but um yeah we, weird transition again i mean i'm bouncing back and forward but i guess this is the roller coaster of sport and life uh, so that takes us to what 2015 2016 i and the family relocated back to the uk long story short our youngest daughter was born in seattle and there was a little bit of kind of homesickness i guess from my wife's perspective she wanted to spend time around her you know her father who's a, obviously then a now grandparent and her sister and a few other people so um yeah we went back to the uk i worked in another sport which is a completely polar opposite to to rugby i worked for um, a county cricket team professional sport again yep. Um, I guess cricket and baseball have a level of um, similarity, but yeah, the culture was the biggest shock for me in terms of rugby needing physical prowess, needing strength, needing power, needing size to cricket, which is, as you know, with baseball, a very high skill sport. Someone's bowling a, a you know, a five ounce missile at you at potentially 90 miles an hour. Um, the athleticism standpoint has 
exponentially developed Improved. over the last yeah. five or six years. But in terms of an athlete and a really, really high-skilled athlete, a really high-skilled player, that was the biggest challenge I think I had, that some of them were so good at their sport but didn't have the physical qualities to back that up. So the resiliency element was the bit that frustrated me because some of them didn't see the connection between basically fitness and high quality mm -hmm. physical output with the quality of their their output as a as a player. Yeah. So it was that meshing of um, I guess it was storytelling for me in terms of getting the best out of them. But that was that was 2016, 2017, 18, and 19. I kind of I guess I transitioned out of sport a little bit. That cricket experience was fabulous. We we did as a team win a a very high profile tournament in the short format of the game. So it was one of those weird weird years where I had an amazing experience. I learned a lot myself as a coach, but also I, it, I was 200 days away from the family. It was a kind of challenging time from balancing the, the demands of sports, coaching, and obviously family life. So I sort of sort of slid out of pro sport for three years and just touched on it with some semi-professional rugby consultancy work. But um, I worked at a university as a strength and conditioning lecturer for three years, and I've started a publishing career in terms of some of the academic side of strength and conditioning. But the scratch of coaching was so, so um, needing to be itched, shall we say, that I had a phone call during the summer of this year, 20, or sorry, 2019, from the previous employer at uh, Adivus who said, um, how do you fancy coming back to Seattle to work with the Major League Rugby program? And it's obviously full-time professional. And that itch for coaching back in full-time sport kind of was an was that without, without an instant yes? It didn't take very long. Yeah, okay, we had yeah. a phone call literally that was maybe two minutes long. And yeah, it was literally, are you interested? I'm checking. Yes, yes. Okay, hang tight for the paperwork. And then we had a few conversations there and then. But yeah, and now early 2020, I'm back in Seattle, loving the fact that um, Seattle Seawolves are current champions and we've got some expectations in terms of taking the season forward and uh, yeah, retaining the retaining the MLR league title, which is uh, yeah, challenge number one for 2020. Which will happen. We don't, we don't, we don't say if or or maybe or hope. No, all positive language, <laughs> all positive language for sure. But that, so that's that's, a, that's the nutshell, kind of twenty five yeah. years in about ten minutes. Fantastic. But that's that's great though. I mean, honestly, because there's a couple of things there that that I didn't know. So it's gonna lead me kind of down some 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 rabbit holes. And with that said, so I, what I like to do is jump the like give the meat meat and potatoes per se. But like out of your career, you know, when you look back. What, instead of going like, hey, what do you think now? Because I want to get to VBT, velocity-based training. Um, I love that. I, I know you got a ton of insights on that. But in general, when you look at training, you know, and you look back at what you did and where you are now, uh, and we could, you know, we could say athletes, but we could just talk people in general. Sure. You know, what are some things that have been the big, like, man, I thought that, like, I should do that, but I definitely shouldn't. What are no-nos, you know, in um, just it, because I, I look at it this way. Let's not even talk about, I, I think we're both on the same page when um, we think, hey, somebody should get stronger, more powerful, more resilient with, without, you know, jeopardizing them long term. It's mm -hmm. not like, hey, let's make you the best in the next four years, but then you'll be fucking broken, you know? Yeah, sure. Right. So, so from that standpoint and just from the things that you've learned, you know, what are some things that you did used to do, but you're like, ah, man, those are definitely no goes for me now uh, as far as your philosophy when it yeah. comes to training? Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, go, let's rewind a few years. So um, the seven years in personal training was a slightly different entity when it comes to program prescription, program design, program delivery. You're, you're kind of at the beck and call in the service industry of P 
people who may or may not turn up. But the one the one fabulous uh, thing about personal training is that they're paying they are paying for your time. So more often than not, they're going to show up and they're actually going to be diligent and they're going to be committed because they are they are paying for a service off somebody. So I think that particular population is a slightly different thing. But I think the biggest lesson that I've learned over the, the sort of the subsequent 15 years would be in terms of and we've talked about this downstairs off air. Um, is not being so so prescriptive with the with the pres- with the program design to the point where there's absolutely the rigidity and the lack of flexibility causes more problems than it solves. So mm-hmm. I think that would be my biggest take home for any young coach listening and any any coach who's just entering the industry. Um, we're talking about stimulus. I mean, my, my little hashtag on on Twitter is Strength Foundation, and I'm not saying that strength is the or maximum strength particularly is the is the underpinning physical quality that makes the difference in in every sport and I'm and I'm moving my kind of continuum along the on the sort of the speed the speed line as well as the strength line and there is resiliency and there's a whole load of stuff that we'll probably cover off at some point but I think yeah that's the biggest if I can give one sort of major take home from the 15 years of evolution that I've kind of made as a strength coach myself would be I don't make anybody squat anymore. I don't make anyone deadlift anymore. I don't make anyone clean anymore. There is a framework of exercises as modalities to develop the physical quality that you're trying to develop. Mm -hmm. So if maximum strength is the quality that you do want to develop, yes, it's great if you can hex bar deadlift pain-free, injury-free. It's great if you can squat pain-free to a good depth and you have the relevant, you know, flexion issues, ankle mobility, whatever it may be that's going to impact on your ability to move competently with load with a particular exercise. But I think rugby particularly has helped me enormously. And to be honest with you, some of the players that I've also encountered have helped me enormously grow as a coach. And I've listened to players as much as I've told players what to do. And I think that's an important thing to to sort of parallel as well when it comes to coaching. It's not a one-way street. It's it's um, it's got to be a democratic process. I mean, there's a, there's a great book that I love. It's actually one of my top three recommendations when it comes to coaching, and it's universal. You know, it could be business coaching, but it's coactive coaching, which is really learning how to, you know, be insightful, ask great questions, you know, and and, and find out a lot more. Because once again, mm-hmm. hey, uh, somebody does a deadlift and, and you see the face, like, mm-hmm. how does that feel? Mm-hmm. Filling that in the hip a little bit. Okay, cool. Let's let's switch it around a little bit. What about now? You know, we lifted it on place. Oh man, I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. You want to do that, or do you want to do this? Or do you, you know, yeah. I'll go with that today. Yeah. All right, great. Let's do yeah. a three or three on that. Mm-hmm. And and I think that there's still too many people that feel like if they did that, it was wrong. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of we t- we coach it in nutrition, right? It's, it's like, hey, it's don't you know if you just do meal plans and give people very rigid stuff to do, they fall off compliance and then they feel unsuccessful. Is compliance is gone. But in strength training, it it seems to have been this. No, no, that's what's on the plan. Seventy five percent, whatever you right. know. And and I think that's so crazy. And for a long time, I would feel guilty not doing the lift that it was in the program. You know, like yeah, like oh, fuck it. I guess I'm just gonna have a lesser session. You know, mm-hmm. which is and it happened last night. Like last night, I started travel deadlifting. Like it's not feeling the, the the greatest, but let me put it up put put up on blocks because it's that end range that's kind of feel, I'm feeling my hip a little bit. Put up on end range, had one of the best training sessions I had. I switched everything around, yeah. worked up to 500 for two. You know, I mean, sure. it, but, but the thing is, if I went, I have to lift this off mm-hmm. the floor mm-hmm. for this weight for this many reps, there's two things that would happen. I, I would have either tweaked something or, you know, I would have just stopped and been like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm done. Yeah. And and that's crazy to me. And, and, um, and I think it's very parallel, right? I mean, athletes and or 
any any pop, person general, yeah, pop, general sure. pop yeah i think it, yeah i mean the reality for us i think as coaches it's having and not wanting to steal dan dan paf's thunder but he's a phenomenal coach and someone with such huge level of experience and expertise but have the plan written in pencil and i think again learning lessons one off one off athletes two off two off um you know your, your coaching philosophy evolving i modify the program every single day i work in a collision sport with athletes who run into each other run into run fast r run often um like i say collide with each other at up to eight or nine meters per second shall we say they're not always going to be in the right physical or mental condition after field practice for example to lift as prescriptively as maybe a paper program may suggest yeah. and i think you've got to evolve your program design so that you're after you're chasing adaptation and we can talk about vbt later on mm -hmm. and the method in which you chase the adaptation can move can move on a daily basis yeah. can move on a daily basis and i mean going back to the sort of the big picture stuff here in the lessons learned um, and again, I'll, I'll steal some thunder off a, a great mentor of mine called Ashley Jones, who ironically is a strength and conditioning coach who worked for the All Blacks and Australian Rugby Union and now actually is going to lock horns with me for the first time professionally in the Major League Rugby, which is ironic. He's at the Sabercats in Houston. Oh, nice. So he's, yeah. a, he's another guy who's kind of six to eight years older than me, maybe eight to ten. Um, unbelievably gifted at sharing information and I'm hoping that one day you can you know Absolutely. meet up with that yeah. guy too I mean so shared so richly and generously with me in terms of information and time is uh, what, a, what a mentor should be but anyway we're going to have to go up against each other professionally this year which would be fun but um, I think it's about this quadrant of management that he calls it which is if you've got a very low training age mm -hmm. and you are deemed the expert and I'll say that the strength and conditioning coach in this case is the, is the expert who probably knows a little bit more than an 18 year old or 16 year old who's done no training in their whole life um there is a level of rigidity that is allowable given that the athlete can move competently. That's a, that's a key point here. But if you just um, squat, bench, chin, you know, f follow the, basics, follow the yeah. basics of programming 101, yeah. you will get results pretty quickly. And you can because of the said principle and because of gas and all those, you know, the physiological principles of strength and conditioning underpinning. You will be able to get great results out of people by being relatively prescriptive. I can tell you some stories about my kind of Cardiff Blues Academy career, particularly on that, which was clean squat, uh, single leg, push-pull, um, undulating periodization on a kind of Monday, Wednesday, Friday full body repetition scheme that just, just literally undulated through percentage-based prescription on a weekly basis with very little and very little variation, and pretty Monday, much Wednesday, Friday. And these, these guys turned out to be some of the most physically gifted athletes in Welsh rugby at the time. And I don't want to name drop, but I might just drop a few in there. For just <laughs> no, but it's good that it's good to so for people, for, for people yeah, to know yeah, that yeah, yeah. I'll tell you now, someone like Sam Warburton who's just retired as, as British Lions and uh, Welsh captain for kind of the last five or six years was renowned as a physically gifted rugby player. Don't get me wrong. It was, it was Sam's genes and Sam's diligence to training and Sam's diligence to nutrition that allowed him to become the player he was. Someone as fortunate as I was at the time to deliver to those kind of guys was an absolute privilege because they would have turned into the athlete and player they turned into irrespective of who was coaching them at the time. It just so happened to be me. And that's, you know, that's a nice thing, but I'd like to say, or I'd like to think that some of the program design was 
a contributory factor sure. to their development. And yeah. it wasn't just one as N equals 25 or 30. But because you st- but well. those guys were started young, right? You're they you started young and they were diligent yeah. and they listened, to, they listened to the advice. They had accountability to some degree. They had nutrition provision. They had a, a, a nutritionist who would take body comps. They'd have set targets. There'd be goal setting. There'd be integration of psychological strategy. There'd also be a high level of expectation set upon them from the management group that these are your targets for the next six weeks. Here's how we're going to get there. And there would be a little process. But the, if I'm being brutally honest, the actual program design was very, very um, basic. And it was very, very relatively rigid. There was a little bit of adaptation, obviously, when they played and they had to start doing a bit of manipulation. But, mate, they, they hand cleaned predominantly as their kind of Olympic lifting variation. Yep. They squatted three days a week, which I, I love the frequency to develop, yep. uh, obviously, physically. Some of the guys put 10 kgs, what's that, 22 pounds on over the summer, which is a sort of four-month preseason. Yeah, but huge. they were in that golden window of opportunity where the management group provided as much as possible to help those players develop. So yep. guys who were small, I remember one player who's still playing at international level now for Wales. He came into our academy having been released from another academy for being too small. He was 74 kg, so I don't know what that is in pounds, but I'm a, I'm a kind of kg guy. So he was, he was deemed too small. Yeah. Anyway, between him entering our academy at 74 kgs, he left our academy at 84 kgs not long after, and within the first year as a full-time professional, he went from making his debut for his club to making his debut for his international team for making his debut for the British and Irish Lions, which is the pinnacle of rugby in Northern Hemisphere in one season. And some of that was obviously based on physicality, but some of that was based on, again, another athlete who taught me so much about how to prepare with absolute professionalism. Unbelievable. So, I mean, a couple couple, couple things to uh, to unpack for sure is, I mean, look, if he was uh, kicked, I mean, kicked out, let go because of being too small and then went to another program. He had two chips on his shoulder and he still has fire in his belly based off the fact that that year, I think it was 2005, maybe 2006, he had the touch paper lit from under him and he still is one of the most diligent professionals when it comes to preparing for elite level competition and he's now I think he's done three British and Irish Lions tours which is pretty unheard of and there's not many people who have a career longevity of that level at the highest possible level it's like going to the Pro Bowl 10-12 years in a row from a football standpoint it is it is career longevity at the highest level but some of the diligence in which he prepares is absolutely staggering and you have to be respectful of that absolutely now, with, so so you got this quadrant one, right? Yes. Quadrant. Okay. So Sorry. Ba- yeah, we got to go back. Ba- no, no. It's, but it's basics done exceptionally well. Frequency. Mm-hmm. I love, especially at that point in time. Yep. I love frequency. Sure. Yep. Um, especially when size is an important element, and obviously developing yep. strength quickly to match the demands of the game at the high level. So quadrant one is essentially the coach telling the player. Quadrant two then is the coach pretty much telling the player, but it's like. Luca, you want to develop maximum strength, you need to do lower body exercise. Which one do you want to do? Do you want a deadlift? Do you want a hex bar deadlift? Do you want a squat? Do you want to push a sled? Okay, I want to push a sled. Right. So if you want to develop maximum strength by pushing a sled, when I ask you to push a sled to develop maximum strength, load it heavy and push the bloody thing. Yeah. Because if you don't want to squat, that's absolutely fine. If you don't want to deadlift because you get, you know, you're a rugby player, you're not a deadlifter, you're not a powerlifter, you're a rugby player, I understand those demands. So that's the kind of conversation you then have in, at level two, which is, the program is still the program, but you have some level yes, of yes, autonomy, autonomy with yeah, exercise. Yeah, exercise yeah, selection yeah. now is, is a two-way conversation. Yeah. It's not me telling you we're squatting today. It's me and you discussing what you want to fit into that program. But I like what you said, too. Like when we talked you know, uh, downstairs, it was like strength stimulus mm-hmm. versus, you know, even like not even just even saying a hinge pattern, right? You say, mm-hmm. 
squat, hinge, push, right? Yep. I mean, which is, yep. is kind of locomotion. But the point of it is strength stimulus. Mm -hmm. And you go, here's your choices. You're an athlete. Yep. Bust your ass because yep. we want these to, to be these block, parameters. In this block, it's this. Yep. It might be at the, at the level I'm at now with athletes who are not 18 or 19, I know there's guys already in the group that I'm working with right now, you know, in, in their 20s, late 20s, early 30s, who've played 10 years or 12 years as a professional rugby player. You think about the collisions, not only in training, but in obviously competition. Yeah. They may just push the sled for the rest of their career as their yeah. stimulus for developing maximum lower body strength. And I have absolutely no issue with that. I have no ego around, oh my God, your numbers on the, you know, the key lifts in whatever else people are benchmarking. I don't care what people are benchmarking in other programs. It's not my problem. My problem is you on a weekend showing up and performing at your primary job, which is being a rugby player. Mm. And, the, and all of the stuff that physical preparation does is help you become the vehicle to showcase your talents on the weekend. You know what? I, I really I, So I love this because I, when anybody that's listening to this, people can try to compartmentalize and say, oh, well, or, you know, uh, Chris is talking about uh, rugby. Yeah, but if you're, but the thing is, I would go the same route and go like, okay, if your job is to show up as a mom that picks up two kids, goes and hikes on Sundays, right? What? How are we preparing her to do that yep. or whatever she wants to do? It's, it's the same thing. It, it's you know, absolutely transferable. I did yep. the same. My philosophy, bearing in mind I'd worked in professional rugby for call it twelve years before I got into professional cricket, where they didn't. My my de my development sort of theory and my development process was the same for the cricket player. I, it's it's a slightly different challenge because the competition season is once it's about like baseball. You're playing all the time, but you can microdose. Yep. The physical qualities that you want to develop. So guys sprinted every week. Guys lifted every week. And I didn't care if it was lifted for 20 minutes. It's, great. it's a lift. It's I'm a lift and it's a stimulus to help you maintain your resilience and performance qualities. Not the other way around. Are you with me? Yeah, absolutely. But also I think absolutely. the big thing to, to sort of mention here possibly is young coaches are maybe less secure about themselves than say someone of my age who's just upwards of 40 just upwards just I mean, barely scratch barely scratching yeah. 40 <laughs> but you become slightly more um also immersed in big picture thinking as opposed to minutiae so when i was 25 yeah. and i have this I'll, I'll share some examples of kind of talking to young coaches about their program design where they are where i was 25 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago, whatever where they're so so immersed in the minutiae of their program and the exercise order and the exercise selection and it's kind of like they spend hours in front of the excel spreadsheet getting their programming exactly how they want it to look sets reps intensities percentage based if they want to go down that road which i obviously can blow out of the water pretty comfortably and yeah. quite easily oh, yeah, without easily, being easily. too facetious yeah. but um the, the sets the reps the time that they have to uh, the tempo the rest periods whatever the spreadsheet looks amazing but they're not big picture thinkers. For me, I'm one of the four pillars of performance. There's tactical, there's technical, there's psychological, there's physical. And if the other three coactives are working in as, as, as efficiently as possible, I'm, just, I'm a support mechanism for a player. Physical preparedness is not the event. And I learned this mm -hmm. from a lot, of rugby, a lot of rugby players, actually, of, of relatively high quality, especially overseas players who came into the Cardiff Blues who challenged the conventional way of doing things, which I loved. And I learned a lot from, and I'll maybe share some of that with you down the line. But um, it's one of those things where we're just one of the factors. 
and a lot of coaches, I think young coaches, especially in my experience, they're so worried about the squat numbers going up, the speed numbers going up, the, the body fat scores going down, the jump scores going up, whatever it might be, every physical performance metric that's proving that you're worthy of your job. Versus for me, I am maybe take a slightly different mentality now whereby if you show up on Saturday, everything I've done with you in the week before the games arrived, which might be giving them nudges on nutrition, pushing them towards the nutritionist to help with that, something around that, pushing them towards the psych, having a conversation with them around performance, but not necessarily the delivery of that performance mechanism. I'm actually getting to a point where I've actually done a better job by doing less and not doing more. But the young strength coach is like, no, no, you've got to do your five by five. You've got to do your, you've got to do your, it says five sets of two clean at 85%. You, you've got to, you've got, it's mm -hmm. like, no, you don't. You modify and manage the program and you, and you have a flexibility within your program design to either bolt on some top-ups or take off some, some work based on some of your performance metrics and some of your conversations and some of your profiling and some of your, you know, your load management strategy, whatever it may be. But that's coaching. It's dynamic. It's totally. It's a. It's a continual, um, moving, kind of it's, animal. It's, I look at it as a, it's an organism. Yeah. It's right. Moving. Because it's like and it's adapting. The organism's always changing. And when you put sport into play, and I'll just say, you know, for for, I would say a non-athlete, I call just call him the athlete of life, right? Yeah, sure. It's, it's still yeah. right, but what, what's the, the organism can be lack of sleep and stress at work and mm -hmm. this and that and like mm -hmm. I mean in, in sport you have the technical aspect and you got hit. Right, so mm -hmm. now your nervous system's wacky. You're, you're in your head. This is all. You know, there's so many factors sure. that to 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 think that you could write a program and stick to it in a nice linear oh. or undulating fashion. It's actually kind of nuts to yes. to believe Correct. that, right? It's, 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 and I'm so pleased that the new the new periodization methodologies are really challenging stress as a as a as a larger entity. Home stress, kids, financial, nutritional, you know. Yeah, like your own personal Academic, mental stress that you're always be. thinking tons about. Tons and yeah, yeah. tons. Yeah. It's not, and this is again where these young coaches are so stressed about getting their programming so right on paper. But it's like, that's not the only stress an athlete's going through. Mm -hmm. Commuting in Seattle is a stress. <laughs> you know, yeah, getting yeah. the right nutrition or not the right nutrition is a stress. You know, being hydrated to the right point is a stress. You know, like you say, getting six hours sleep instead of eight hours sleep is a stress. And all of these things, these hundreds, these 200, these 300 moving parts go into performance on Saturday. And I think that's where you think a little bit more broadly as a, as a sort of more experienced and a slate, say, older coach. Like I say, I'm happy to take the guys I think that I'm coaching at the moment are enjoying the fact that I don't have a high volume methodology and a high volume mentality. I understand that they're rugby players first and foremost and everything I deliver is based around them being in the best possible shape to showcase that. And even if that means, I, like I say, even if that means I do less. Because they don't need a huge amount of stimulus. If you scrummage in practice, the lower body has been torched for half of our squad. They don't need the volume that yeah. maybe uh, I don't a non-player non would not. Yeah. yeah, you know, like you say, your everyday athlete. Yeah. They might be at it. They've done nothing all day. Yeah. Whereas our guys have come from a, a field practice where they've scrummaged, which essentially is doing a lower body workout, and then they come in the gym and have to do another lower body workout. That lower body workout doesn't need to be 90 minutes long. It will crush them. Yeah. And obviously, that's where that, like I say, that kind of philosophy comes into play as well. Are you, I mean, yeah, I mean I'm mean, i sure you've seen all the stuff around minimum 
yeah, the more minimum effective dose and all that sort of stuff. It's slightly more complex than that, as we yeah, both absolutely, know. Absolutely. But the reality is, do they need to do five sets of a, of a key lift? Probably not. Do they need to give me three really good quality outputs? Yes, they probably do. Mm. And that's where, again, and I know we'll segue to it at some point, yeah, the BBT stuff's great because you can get them in a sweet spot and you can give them the dose that they need for the physical quality you want to develop at that particular time. If I want to develop maximum strength, I want to see a certain number shown on my on my you know my dashboard whatever yeah. it might be if i want to develop strength speed i can get the loading parameters bang on because between this velocity zone and this velocity zone that is the kind of loading scheme that you need to develop explosive strength or strength speed whatever you want to term it yeah so I, I, I want to i actually want to move into that before okay, uh, cool. before i do just sure like an example from uh, my personal life of for instance right i mean i i, I work a lot I, I train quite a bit but i've taken out as much, you know, I still do boxing throughout the week. I don't play, I'm trying to get back to playing basketball. But an example would be is that I can have a much, you know, more volume in a lift than if I add something. So I've started adding more sprints and jumps and things like that. And as soon as I started adding that, the, it's not even the volume of, of my lifts, I'm like, all right, I'm done, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I have to chop it down and cut yeah. it out. So if you take, you know, a person that, I don't know, they play basketball twice mm -hmm. a week and they're, mm -hmm. you know, like they're a weekend warrior, right? They sure. do basketball league twice a yeah. week. Well, you're going to write a different program for that person and, and, and manage it differently than somebody that does absolutely nothing. Sure. Right. And then you take an athlete mm -hmm. and you guys are practicing on the field, what, right now, four days a week? Four, two, days, four, days, four, days, four days, days a week. Man, and you're cutting and stopping and jumping. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's, you know, try to go and lift super heavy after, I don't know, 30 minutes of doing some shadow, you know, agility work with somebody. Sure. Like, you're not going to be able to do no. what you did before. So, yep. You know, keeping those, and, and once you start looking at that, you go like, shit, there is a ton of different inputs that we got to look at. Now, you know, leading into, I, I, I mean, I've done a good chunk of velocity-based training in my life, but like, man, you, you are like really, I would say, working with that right now. And I, imagine you're explaining this to uh, like an eight to 10 year old. <laughs> Cause, yeah. No, because I, yeah, I, sure. I think coaching is actually like, that's, I try to do that as much no, as no, possible. Sure. Um, but uh, VBT velocity-based training, how it operates. I mean, obviously, it's, you're looking at uh, there's different apps. Uh, you lose, use the push app, which is yes. which is super simple and great. Um, on when you try to get a certain outcome out of training, obviously this is bar speed. Mm -hmm. Just break that down a little bit. Whether okay. it's you know strength stimulus, speed stimulus. You know, if same thing. If you're looking at, uh, for instance, volume and hypertrophy, how are you looking at sure. that when it oh, comes yeah, to? Oh wow. yeah, wow. Okay, this yeah, this is a big this is a big big topic area, especially oh, yeah. with all those three. I'll try and do yeah. my best. Um, yeah, I guess so. As a as a caveat, I think my first exposure. So it it's I guess it's the storytelling of of my road. Yeah, because because I, I, I would like to know actually. Yeah. What made you go? Oh, I love this. Yeah. You okay. Know? So yeah. again, go, you've got to rewind back to 20, uh, 2002, 2003. So I guess the the fortune for me personally as a developing coach was that uh, Leicester Tigers were very closely aligned with England England rugby at the time. So England rugby at the time were, you know, foresaw the future and provided the club with linear position transducers. I can't remember whether it was a gym aware or whether it was a tendo unit, but it was yeah. the tethered, it was the tethered version of uh, the new school velocity based yeah. training device. It still had the little cable. Yeah, they had the cable that yeah. you attached to the bar. One of the frustrations back then was if guys, especially if they did something like an Olympic lift, the, the bounce and the vibration, that tether used to break quite often. And then they, they almost replaced it with a sort of very, very strong kind of fishing wire that was much more successful in terms of that tether being mm -hmm. kind of always attached so you got the readings that you wanted. But I guess to answer your, to answer your question, from there I kind of got into the, f the efficiency and effectiveness kind of 
conundrum and the and the puzzle piece and the solution building from there, whereby um, a couple of England players got injured and spent pretty much, I think, I can't remember what one of them did, maybe a shoulder, but he could safety squat bar, for example. So we started messing around with some velocity-based training in terms of developing his maximum strength for lower body. And uh, it was trial and error for me then. There was no kind of education courses. Yeah. It was kind of, you, you know, you get in there and you go, right, what, what, what are we looking for? Well, in order to develop maximum strength, we need the bar speed to be at a certain, at a certain number. So that number potentially for lower body is 0.5 meters per second and, and lower. So yeah, surprise, surprise, guess what? The heavier, the heavier the weight, the slower the bar moves. But that's, that's kind of an obvious kind of connection to make. But then, and this is how that whole strength foundation hashtag kind of evolved as well. It was about not only developing maximum strength, but also developing the other strength quality. So developing speed strength, developing strength speed. But also I think mm -hmm. the, why, the why, or the reason why I really enjoyed velocity-based training as I evolved to use it much more often was that actually you can buffer and use it as a protection mechanism to help athletes. So in context, I'll, I'll sort of try and frame this. Some athletes love lifting heavy all the time and they love grinding and they love going to technical failure yeah, yeah. often. Yep. And it's actually in the long term, talking about stress response and adaptation, crushing your central nervous system three or four days a week is not helpful to develop you as an explosive athlete who's got to do multiple um, repeated power efforts on the weekend plus run plus collide plus all the other plus execute technical skills etc yeah. etc so I guess I went into this thinking right how can I essentially give an athlete the best possible training experience today which impacts on the next training experience which will be another weight training session in between two and three days and the next one and the next one and the next one so I guess that the reason why I really like VBT is because you can couple training units together to make forward progress pretty much all of the time and what I mean by that is if um, a squat has a minimum velocity threshold and we can well, I mean gee we can talk technicalities of VBT forever but v the minimum velocity threshold is essentially you're going to fail that yep. is your fail that is your fail speed so if you can squat at 0.3 meters per second for a one rep max that's probably close to a true one rep max for someone who could in in theory squat about 200 kgs mm -hmm. the heavy squatters can normally squat a little bit slower and still maintain good form and, and finish as a rep but it's probably no more than 0 0.23 0 0.24 meters per second so it's you know the minutiae not that much but those are the best in the world yeah like, being pedantic yeah, yeah. it's yeah it's not a massive amount but yeah. i mean if you're as a coach you need to have your eye on 0 0.3 meters per second you if you finish a, a rep at 0 0.3 meters per second trust me you're not going to do the next one you are <laughs> not going to do the next and that knowing those numbers is important because, for example, if I can say if I can say to someone, right, I want to give give me an honest set of three of three, uh, or give me an honest five, I know that rep number five in a, in a squat, for example, at about 0.4 meters per second, is a good honest effort because they've probably got one more rep left in the tank. But you might be like, no, that, that, that's I'm, it. Yeah, and I'm done. So if they finish that last rep of five of that set of five at 0.6 meters per second. I know based on their final rep that that weight is too light. For, for, yeah, they can go up. So in that respect, with a, with a bit of coaching eye and also a lot of exposure to the technology over the last 15 or so years, you can as a coach prescribe to an athlete pretty much from seeing their warm-up sets where they can go on any given day, given their physiology for any given day. So you and I both know Brian Mann pretty well. Brian's done some fantastic work in this field. Yep. And, and now much more research has been done in this area as well by some, some pretty cool practitioners. 
but also Brian from some of his work and obviously knowing about periodization of, and the sort of methodologies and, and theories of today human physiology is not linear we both know you can't just go 75% of one rep max today 80 the next day 78 the next day 83 the next day that linear oh sorry that undulating periodization model is gone you it's human physiology is far too complex for that so what the VBT allows me to do is it allows me to prescribe load in the right um, speed zone to elicit the stimulus that the, I'm the, after. The one, yeah. So it might be that today you feel great and you're going to give me four sets of three on the hex bar dead at 4.05. Um, you're going to go, you're going to finish at about 0.45 meters per second. It's heavy, but it's not near minimum velocity threshold. But what that does is it allows me, like I say, for you to not overstretch yourself to the point where you're going to not be able to recover for the next stimulus that I've got planned for you in three days time. So it allows for forward progress all the time, like I say. But also those guys who really like lifting heavy, that is heavy. 0.45 final rep of a four set of three or three sets of four, four sets of three, whatever it may be, is heavy. Mm -hmm. But it's not heavy to the point where they then can't do any accessory work, they can't do anything else and they're battered for the next three yeah. days. Because they can't do their field practice, which is also very important See, as a sports coach. I, I, lo I love this because um, essentially what it's just it's giving you is just giving you actual, if you just didn't look at the bar at all, mm -hmm. you'd go, okay, w w we got you where we want you to. Yeah. And then, you know, the player could go, oh, well, shit, this is 20% less than what I was doing last week. Yes. Who cares? Doesn't matter. That's absolutely fine. And I was going to go on to that and I was going to say, so this is the challenge we've now got. So I know from based on this week's data that we, you, you know, you showed, you showed some of that on social media, very kind of you. But um, just say a guy did lift 180 for five this week. We're now going to play a fairly challenging exhibition game on Sunday. So they're going to come into next week, relatively speaking, yes. under-recovered because we have one less recovery day than we had the week before. So Tuesday, 4.05 may feel absolutely horrendous, but I'll know that before they even lift 4.05 because in their preparation sets, when just say they've got 100 kilos on the bar, so 225, if they're not moving that at about one meter per second, I know that they're not ready to go to where they went last week. But like you just suggested, I can still prescribe a load, even if it's 160 this week, whatever that is in pounds. Sorry, I'm bouncing between sorry. pounds and kilos. It's yeah. one of those things that British people will do. <laughs> like you've suggested, you've not lifted as heavy this week as you did last week because of other factors, i.e. you've just played a, a very challenging rugby match where there's all those other physical attributes that have been stressed. But I'm still giving you the stimulus that you need to develop the strength quality. So whether you've lifted 180, 160, 200... In the, in the right velocity zone, you're developing the right physical capacity. And yep. that's where it's beautiful because you go, well, if you only play 20 minutes of the weekend, you might have a go day. And if you have a go day, get after it. But you can still get after it within that range and within that buffer zone. Yep, but the number's just going to change. Yeah. Because and, it, it and depends. You're getting, yeah. And that's one thing that's, that's the education piece for the, for the athlete. Yeah. And the same goes for when you're trying to develop strength, speed, and, and speed strength. Everyone wants to try to lift at the heavy end. But I want velocity this week. So I mm. want you to lift at 1.5 meters per second. If you're lifting at one meter per second, the weight's too heavy. I take some weight off. I want you to lift at 1.5. Boom. Here's the intent. One of the great things about velocity-based training is not just about what it's telling me as a coach and what obviously I'm prescribing to the athlete. It's also eliciting those tr that training intent from an athlete's perspective. It's eliciting competition. And as you know, as, as I know, what's so-and-so lifting? Okay, so everyone's lifting 100 kilos or everyone's lifting 50 kilos. And all the alpha males want to lift the fastest. So then 
if you want to lift the fastest, you show, you show intent. If you show intent, you get athlete output. If you get athlete output, you get athlete results. So the reality of the thing is it's not just the ob objective marker that you're seeing, which is helping you prescribe effectively. It's also, as a coach, getting your athletes fired up, getting them competitive, getting the intent that you want in the gym. Because let's face it, we all know they're rugby players or sports players first and foremost. Some days the gym is not their friend. It's yeah. not the, they didn't get into their sport to come to the gym. The gym now helps them perform and helps them become yeah, more like resilient. So sometimes you've got to play games with players, haven't you? And objective data and objective markers help athletes give you effort. And if they give you effort, they'll, you'll ultimately get them to get results. And that's, the, that's a key, key puzzle piece for me when it comes to VBT. Yeah. Not just, I want you to lift fast. So if I want you to lift fast, you've got to lift light stuff. If I want you to lift heavy, lift heavy stuff within this continuum, within, within these boundaries. And I will make sure as a coach that I kind of safeguard them from technical failure and trashing their central nervous system. And as we both know with some of the other guys that you kind of speak to frequently, we, do, we want them healthy. We want them performing at a high level. We want them resilient. That's the kind of pillars of an S&C or performance preparation. So that's just, it's just some of the guidelines that's for me. Some, that's some great, great, great insights. Um, I, you know, the thing is too, like I, me looking at that, for instance, you'd get me to lift with more intent. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a natural thing. I did what? And you want me to wear it? Fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you that's know, all exactly of a sudden, right. I'm, like, I'm pushing through harder yeah. and getting that velocity up. Um, Elite athletes, mate, they're competitive. There's absolutely no doubt, and, it's, and they are. They, if, if position by position, you and me are fighting for the, for the starting spot. What do you move 100 kilos at? Oh, yeah, 1. 1.4, 1.3, 1.2, 1.3. Yeah. And it might be that you've got to protect them from themselves for as sure. well. Yeah, I agree. And you say, hold on a minute, just, hey, just face facts. Joe's, Joe's got more fast twitch than you. Yeah. Suck it up, boy. Yeah. And this, you know, the forwards, the forwards are the are the workhorses, the the slower twitch animals. The the you know the 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 backs are the are the Ferraris, and that's fine. And ultimately, you can also then differentiate your program prescription based off the needs. Of, these guys need more strength. These guys need more strength speed. These guys need more more um, speed strength. Whatever it may be, you can actually be a bit more diagnostic as well, and actually give athletes more of what they need and there's a nice mixed methodology mixed methods me methodology around that as well for me and, and you like can use it for anything too i mean because like an example I, I like the you know high medium very high low if i'm going for yep. four weeks yep but based on that you could go again you could say hey listen like this is high this is what we want mm -hmm. yeah i mean i know you could move it faster but it's a medium week mm -hmm. so here's the here's basically the velocity i'm looking from you right like you can really adapt yep. it to to a lot of different absolutely stuff. oh very adaptable very i mean yeah, I'm not saying it's it's one again. It's one technology that helps us make For better sure. decisions as coaches. I mean, if you work in professional sport, I mean, we are in a technically a startup professional sport in the U.S. It's obviously a much more um, developed uh, professional sport in other countries. But I haven't got all the technology in the current program that I have that I used to have in other professional programs, mm -hmm. and that's absolutely fine. But you've got jump mats, you've got speed gates, you've got GPS units, you've got VBT, you've got all sorts of other. There's tons of technology that help you make decisions. It's not the only thing that's going to be the difference between you playing well on weekend and not, and we both know that, yeah, having yeah, sure. had these 300 or 400 moving parts that go into performance on the weekend. But it's just helping us give the athlete the best possible opportunity to develop the physical qualities they need to do well in their, in their sport on the weekend or in the coming weeks of a competition phase or whatever it might be. Now, how would you approach... Uh where I mean, with with athletes, obviously you need this too. Whether it's off season or you were just explaining earlier, right? We have to put muscle on somebody. Mm -hmm. 
how do, does VBT even come into play when it comes to when it comes to, for instance, like hypertrophy and building muscle and yeah, things brilliant. like that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you came back to that. But yeah, so um, in terms of the interface that Push has, and the, and obviously other other VBT uh, devices do exist as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's an interface whereby you can actually program off velocity loss, and velocity loss is a very effective way of prescribing load and prescribing um, sets and reps that do the job really, really effectively. So, for example, for the lower body, and again, it's about choosing your poison and choosing your, your activity um, carefully based in, bearing in mind that hypertrophy is a different animal when it comes to technical failure for and sure. time under yeah, tension absolutely. and all those other yeah. things. But um, if, you, if you, for example, on a, on a squat prescribe 40% velocity drop-off, so you're literally working with a set load until 40% drop-off with, with the kind of same rest periods that you would traditionally prescribe for a, for a developing hypertrophy, yep. you are going to get, ironically, you are going to get about the same number of reps as a kind of traditional three sets of 8 to 12. Mm -hmm. But what, what tends to happen is that if you've got that really good um, prescriptive eye in terms of that initial load that an athlete's going to um, work off, I did it, I did it with, a, with a couple of guys in the UK with a bodybuilders who were really interested in the velocity loss and obviously the muscle um, hypertrophy element. And we did, uh, we did three sets of, of bench press starting at about 0.7 meters per second. So that's telling me there's about eight to 10 reps left in the tank. Anyway, yeah. that's, that's some of the technicalities around VBT. But um, we basically said, just do three sets, work till, it's, um, work till you've literally dropped to 40% of, of your initial, you know, your first rep. So I think the first set, the guy might have done 12 to 15, I can't remember exactly the number, but call it 15. You gave him a minute's rest. You then go, okay, go again. And I think he ended up getting six or seven and then his third set, bearing in mind most of us traditionally would go, what, three sets of 8 to 12 or three sets of 10 to 12, whatever it might be in the rep scheme for, for developing hypertrophy. Yeah. I think he got four or five reps out before he could only he could drop below 40% of his, of his first reps best. Um, so what has he done? 15 plus 8, 6 or 7, and then plus 4. So he's only done about 20-odd reps. And he, he texted me the day after he'd done this workshop, and he said, oh, my God, my chest is in absolute pieces. And so in terms of effectiveness and muscle damage and obviously the things that you want to, to you elicit want to listen. in terms yeah, of breakdown, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the 40% drop-off, uh, e-bench, but there's the squat, the bench, the, the pull-up, whatever it might be, it's, it's effective to answer I think, question. I think what we're going to do par partially too is I'm going to go on like a 12-week complete VBT program and just get yep. jacked out of my mind yeah. and start dunking on people. Yeah, hey, I'll give you awesome. all. The, I'll give you all the credit. Let's do it. Um, Let's do it. I know, I'm serious. I'm, like, you There's know me. I've, I've spent. I've spent like a quarter century testing, on training on myself, yep, and then and then others, obviously, you know, yeah, some no, absolutely some guinea pigs. But yeah. but it's uh, actually shit. Theo Theo put on when when he first came here about a year and a half. What do you put on? 50, 50 pounds of muscle. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I got a picture that will blow your mind, like Great. just straight it. off. Um, but that's it. Is but this is what the training the training environment for us. And again, I think it's an important point from a from a slightly aging strength and conditioning coach. We have to have the ability to practically apply things. Mm -hmm. It's great, and you and I both talked about this off air before. The theory of training is not the same as the practical application of Ooh, training. Sometimes, and, sometimes and it goes it's back so to your far apart. Of course, and absolutely. Huh. And these things, like you say, the training twenty five people at a time is so different to training small groups. To so training so much different to training. In a, in a private one-on-one -on -one scenario mm -hmm. and reading about training and doing 
actually doing and feeling how these things feel is absolutely imperative as a coach. And like you say, how can you prescribe four sets of bench press with 40% velocity drop off or four sets of squat or four sets of hex bar dead, whatever the exercise may be, without actually knowing how that feels yourself? Yeah, I'm sure you've done every repeated sprint protocol you've ever delivered. I'm sure you've done every horrendous aerobic capacity test, whatever it might be. Because how are you going to effectively prescribe to people? I know it's only N equals one in terms of your own individual physiology, but if I'm going to push athletes really hard, I've got to know how they're potentially going to feel from that particular mm -hmm. session that I've delivered to those guys. And that, that goes with whether it's strength and power, whether it's speed, whether it's endurance capacity whatever it may be especially in, in the sport that I work in it's you know a pretty broad spectrum in terms of what you're asking an athlete to do and it's also how those things all couple together which again winds back to VBT where if someone has had a horrendous field practice you have to pull back in the gym and it's a bit like your your good friend and, and mine Eric Cressy if you add something you somewhere in the program at somewhere else in the program you've got to take, something, take something away, away. the yeah. bucket has only got a yep. finite amount of filling you cannot overfill the bucket. And so if I, like you suggested, if you sprint more, we've got to take some more, we've got to take something out. We've got to add more recovery. We've got to add more mobility. We've got to add less training of strength or power or aerobic, whatever it might be. Something at some point has got to go because the bucket has a finite filling capacity. And we don't, <laughs> the thing is, in the real world, there's really no, like we don't do overreaching stuff anymore. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? Like sure. it's, it's the life keeps going. Athletes keep going. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a phase. And, I think that's for actually there's there's oh yeah we don't work in sports where you know that the Olympic final is on August the twentieth. We play next week, then we play the week after. We play the week. We are we are rolling the dice every single time we go on the field as a rugby player because there's a one in three or uh, sorry one in eight chance of getting injured. You roll yeah, yeah, the you dice. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like you say, we're not planning for we're not we can't plan for six weeks ahead. And I told you this story about the programming I'd done, and this goes back to the the sort of. Um, I know we're just bouncing between things. That's all good. That's good. That's, this how it's supposed to be. It's yeah. a bit more <laughs> organic, exactly. But it's like writing a six-week program for someone, and then on, on Sunday, for example, they break their arm. Well, your awesome, amazing six-week spreadsheet program goes out, the the window, yeah. goes out the window. And so, like I said to you again earlier, you have to have a framework. You have to have a plan. I mean, periodization, planning, whatever you want to define it as, it doesn't matter to me. I have a phase plan in January. I have a phase plan in February. I have a phase plan in, in March. I also have 30 guys who are going to need slightly different things on any given day. And I can't, I haven't got the capacity from a computational point of view to even write 30 individual yeah, programs on my impossible. spreadsheet because I've only got 160 hours in the week. And yeah. trust me, with an old, old, old man like me, I need at least 60 of those to sleep. <laughs> so, so that leaves me 100 hours. And then I've got to commute in Seattle. That leaves me in the, that six, an hour each way because the traffic's horrendous. But, you know, you know I'm yeah, telling yeah. the bullshit story. Yeah, but yeah. you have the phase plans and you have a structure, but that structure is very, very fluid. It has to be melted. And yeah, I think, and I mean, and this, this does apply to high school kids this I does apply to, to college kids this does apply to the 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 housewife who's taking their kids to school and hiking at the weekend like you suggest the the pickup basketballer you planning is just yeah it's just a fluid continuum and there's like as and you were saying there's a bunch of a bunch of people things popped up uh because because i, I want to move to another question because i think you might have might have there's a there's a box three right you know we we're talking about Phase one, box one, uh, 
like more. Oh, the quadrant of management. Quadrat, yeah, yeah, the yeah, quadrant. Yeah, sure. we're, we're, yeah, we haven't got to three and four yet. There we go. So yeah, we're, yeah. we're going to get yeah, there. There's four. There's four. The, Thanks, Ash Jones, yeah. for that, by the way. <laughs> He's very we're, helpful. We're going to get there. Um, but, I, but I did, I, I want to say, like, you said something, like, hey, you, you have to understand how these things feel. I, I have a big, like, you know, and we do some online coaching now. We're maybe moving into that even some more in 2020. But me personally, like, I, I, I could never not coach. Uh, and and I, I, I have a big beef with, uh, you know, people that haven't really coached for a really long time coaching online. I just, sure. I just, yeah, I mean, it's no. because there's, because in real life, you actually get to see what's actually happening when yes. you go through it, when you, when you work with people mm -hmm. skin to skin, uh, you start getting, a, a, and I, I, you know, even if like five, if you've been coaching for five years, I don't think that's that like, it's a, it's a, it's a good, decent amount, but it's not really, you know, a crazy you, amount heard, of time. You've heard of the Kruger Dunning curve, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's and there's a, yeah, there's guys that are way more experienced than me who claim to know nothing. And I and I, I think we're hum oh, I'm done dumb. We're humble. We're, yeah. humble <laughs> we're humble enough to accept that when you're 25 and this goes back full circle to the learnings of 15, 20 years of working in professional sport. Oh, yeah. In, when I was 25 or maybe 30, because I did start a little bit late in my pro sport career. Oh yeah, that program I delivered you to you is the best thing ever. Best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. And I, but it's evolved. I mean, what that looks like, and I will do a presentation at some point, and hopefully we'll talk about this another time as well. The evolution of the strength coach from yeah this to where it is now. I mean, I don't even know how long it would take, and I don't want to do a three hundred, you know, page slideshow, but it's just mind blowing. But though there are a lot of people on that left hand side of that curve who are so so overconfident that their way is just the only way, the only way and it's just way. you have to open your mind you have to be curious you have to be you know emotionally intelligent enough to think actually and like i say me hanging out with other coaches who are way way more experienced and have higher levels of wisdom you know like i say the dan paff experience for me yeah. when i traveled to altis was mind-blowing to the point where i was he is, i was embarrassed yeah. that i know so little <laughs> it's like yeah and i'm chasing and i'm chasing learning on a daily basis yeah no no i i, I, I and agree and it's and it's quite scary how little we know when you actually open your mind to the whole kind of subject area that we're focused on in terms of human performance and maximizing it and mastery of certain things and and then just seeing the physical capacities being expressed by other people is mm. it is mind-blowing but yeah going back it's like people have got such high levels of confidence that it's that's the only way and for me like i say it's you've be, you've got to be um confident in yourself to suggest that there's still so much learning to do to do things more optimally it's, it's actually one of my find the answer it's one of the reasons why i love to continue to learn so, i mean I'm, I'm just naturally curious i, I mm -hmm. you know I, I, I feel very dumb <laughs> i like i know i'm really good at what i do but i feel dumb it's yeah. just you know what i mean it's, it's like yeah. this dichotomy and you know you, you meet somebody like dan or i've studied a lot of his stuff and uh, actually going through uh the um the course right now my brother went out for uh nine days sure. uh, to intern yeah, to yeah. intern at, oh, um, at altus yeah and he, mm -hmm. he loved it. and same thing i was right? only there a week it blew my mind yeah and I mean, basically and, I it. and it was exactly that it's like and, and dan's been coaching hands-on for how long yeah i mean like, like 50 years 50 seven i think 10 10, at least 10 Olympics, which is incredible. So that's 40 years. <laughs> yeah. it, mean, go, it goes back to your question, though, about the coaching and the hands-on and the beef. And, I, and I, totally, I totally agree. And it's one of those things, again, in terms of lessons learned. When, when I'm watching and I am mentoring y young coaches, and I have mentored a few who've turned out to be 
pretty good in actually accelerating their development through through listening and learning, which is awesome. But it's like you say you see in someone squat, and you ask them what do you what do you what do you see, and they don't they don't see what you see. And this is, goes back to the Dan Path analogy. Dan can see three guys on the start line of the Olympics all take three steps and and show and share the movement dysfunctions of high level elite athletes in the <laughs> with, the, like, with the naked eye yeah, with the like, naked what? eye within five, three to five steps and you're like oh my god and that's where you feel so yeah. you feel so limitless with oh my god I've got so much more to learn oh yeah but then that's but you're I think you're alluding to the fact that online stuff is great to share your thinking and your programming and your your philosophy but i don't think the human to human interaction will ever ever get superseded by any digitizing of your thinking and your philosophy it's, around it's programming so, and, and the coaching i mean something happened yesterday one of our coaches said hey can you come look at this squat you know and and a guy that's had a he had a fused ankle yeah. um i saw you working which, yeah, i saw you working i'm looking i'm and, observing and the thing is i can't even when i'm looking at it at first i don't even know what i'm looking at you know what I mean? Like I'm just, I'm just. There's a. I've just seen so much of it. I'm like, do this. Hold. On. Get rid of the bar. When you do that, what do you feel? Take the kettlebell. Push it out. What about now? Take that stance. Put the toe out. Does that feel fine? Yeah, that feels fine. Ah, okay. So you have FAI, which you do. Try this. You know what? I think you should put him on a four-week isometric program. You know, to to be able to like own this position. Yeah. Because he's got a pattern that's 100,000 reps in one direction. Yeah, yeah. He's not dysfunctional. He just has a dysfunctional pattern. Right? And it's like 10 minutes. Five, yeah. I don't know, five to 10 minutes. Yeah. It's like, yeah. go. But, you know, and then, but then, like I said, like if you gave me a sprinter and said, what's going on? And I'd see some things, like, and Dan would be like, here's the matrix. And you're I like, was what say, the but I'd need, I'd right. need to take the video and watch it 25 times, 30 times, 40 times. And then even when he he's, told you, he's, yeah, he's, like, looked, hey. he's looked and seen something just, and you know, there's other guys in that program and there's Absolutely. other sprint coaches. Yeah. There's, an, there's a guy in, in the UK who's getting a reputation. There's a guy down in San Diego who's getting a reputation. Like, I follow the sprint guys because it's interesting because obviously I, I work in a multi-sprint sport. But it's just, again, there's, there's only a finite amount of time in the day. I know you you work long hours and you and you study hard. There are only a certain amount of hours a day where you can literally compartmentalize yourself away to go, right, I want to focus on this for now. Yeah. And like I said, the challenge in rugby, which is a fascinating challenge and one that really excites me, is the fact that you work across the full spectrum of physical qualities. You need endurance, you need speed, you need power, you need explosive you know, repeatability, you need X, Y, Z. And programming for that, it is all these puzzle pieces fitting yes, together. And it's that absolutely. conjugated, vertically integrated thing. And it's about, right, what does he need? Okay, well, he needs that, but he needs that, and he needs that. And he, like, oh, my God. There's so <laughs> many individual needs within a the 30, constraints uh, yeah, of yeah. your time frame. You've only yeah. got the guys for five hours a day, and that includes recovery, and that includes video analysis, and that includes all these other things. And you just think there isn't enough time in the day to get everything done, but what are the big rocks? And then you go into that whole kind of, again, mentality around, okay, well, what are the big rocks? Well, in order to physically dominate, you have to be strong and powerful. The sub-elite get differentiated by, by the elite through speed and, and essentially force application. So, but then if you can't catch and pass, you're no good at the sport. So you've, he's got so many things <laughs> pulling on each other and you're like, oh my God. But you, you have just at some point got to decide what is most important. Yeah. And ultimately, I think also going back to your point about coaching and face-to-face and -face time, it is about, and that's the, the sort of Brett Bartholomew domain, which is the relationships, mm -hmm. knowing the athlete, listening to the athlete. Massive, massive lesson learned from me, and it, it turned the corner for me from a programming perspective. 
was being challenged by coaches, uh, being challenged by athletes who were elite at their sport in, in, in my professional rugby career. And those things go back to what you're saying about the quadrants of management. Yeah, because I'll say that's going to lead to three. So we're getting yeah. to three. We're getting to three. What a look at that transition. I know, mate. This is <laughs> no script or anything. There's no, there's no auto cue. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. But quadrant three is literally the player. And this is where I'm reading a lot of stuff at the moment on the sports psychology. Mm-hmm. And there's a great, great coach called Paddy Upton, who's a South African who works, yeah, in, works in cricket. Anyway, and he's absolutely right. He suggests that the most, the, the sort of intellectual property of a team, the most valuable intellectual property of a team, is especially elite teams, is the players themselves. And this again is where you learn as a coach to listen and to take as much from a player as they can take from you as a coach. And the quadrant three for me is that basically the player has 75% autonomy on what they need to do. And there's a, a very famous rugby player. In, he, he played for the All Blacks. He played for some uh, New Zealand teams. And then he came to Cardiff Blues and had an illustrious career. His name's Xavier Rush. What a, he, like one of life's characters. And I'll tell some stories off air about Xavier because it's, <laughs> it's probably not for a family <laughs> show. But um, <laughs> no, he's a great bloke, really great bloke. But um, again, he's in, he, was, he fitted into quadrant three. Which was essentially he needed he knew what he needed to perform well on the weekends and week in week out for about five or six years at the Cardiff Blues he was a dominant factor he was one of the most ferocious ball carriers in the league and got a reputation for literally running over people and was extremely powerful never squatted never deadlifted and this goes back to lessons learned about mm. program design and, and stimulus his only stimulus for about two or three years from us from a what we would consider conventional strength and conditioning standpoint, was heavy, heavy sled towing. And bearing in mind, most people in Not the pushing, literature... pushing, pulling. Pull it like, yeah, like yeah. towing a sled, yeah, towing yeah, a yeah. sled. So what most people would suggest back in the literature, oh, you can't sled tow with 100 kgs because it wrecks your sprinting mechanics, da-da-da. But if you think about how strong you are around the hips, if you can tow 100 kgs or more... And, you know, over five or ten metres, we're not talking about massive distances, yeah. that acceleration distance. Yeah. But anyway, like that was the number one most effective way of developing, one, his acceleration, and two, his power and acceleration. And like I say, he used to run people over, literally run 100 kilo men over for fun. And he was the most... But he was the guy who would challenge my programme design all the time, in, in a nice way, in a yeah. positive way. Yeah. And we don't... I won't lie to you, we had a fair few debates on where we should go with his programming and ultimately he was one of the alpha males in the in the environment and i won't say he got his own way but he made me think differently about programming and that's how like i said my my program prescription has evolved enormously and that's from applying it to to cricket and rugby and any other environmental area that i'd go into in the future potentially but that's basically quadrant three where the where the player the player of elite level knows how to get ready for Saturday. But the challenge we have as coaches is not only getting them ready for Saturday, but getting them ready for the following Saturday, the following Saturday, the following Saturday. So that's where our kind of more, I guess, I guess our wiser you know, levels of expertise help add the little bits of microdose that help you continually perform at a high level versus sometimes you have to protect them from themselves. Do you need to do 10 reps of that? You know, four to six will probably do the job. So you're kind of again slicing a little bit of volume out, even though they're doing something a little bit different. It's very, I mean, basically, it's it's like quadrant from quadrant two to three. What happens is that it's co-active coaching, 
but I would say more of the 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 kind of the guidance falls on the line of the player versus the other way around. It just sure. shifts it yeah. to, to to that quadrant. And, right? and this and it went back to and then other players fell into that same category for me. Where if you're a high level international player with, let's say, anywhere between 25 and 100, when I was lucky to work with players, you had 100 Test caps, which is a pretty huge milestone in yeah, in performance absolutely. in professional rugby. If you've got between 25 and 100 Test caps for your country. I think you pretty much know how to prepare to play <laughs> rugby at the highest yeah. level. And we are just facilitating the help. We're pointing you in the direction, like I said, of the nutritionist. Do you, is your body comp optimal? You know, can you recover better? Do you, know, do you need a massage more often? Which areas are tight? Do you, you know, maintenance. You're the mechanic. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, the mechanic. Yeah. And you're, you're dosing them with a the stimulus that they need, but they're also they're pretty much deciding what they want to do on a day-to-day basis. And you're, you're managing that. You're not being, to, you're not being bent over but you're also having a very, very proactive discussion and, and you are, like I say, listening as opposed to talking. And that's I think that's massively important. And it's those are the biggest lessons I learned in performance sport and coaching that sometimes the player, and the, we're not talking about high school and collegiate players because I don't think they have the capacity. Yeah, to, and they're not, in yeah. without being too horrendous, they're not elite level. Yeah. People say they're elite level, but no, elite level is the All Blacks, best five players of all time. That's the that's the truly elite level. Rafa Nadal is elite. Yeah. Roger Federer is elite. You Le- know, LeBron James, LeBron elite. James yeah, is elite. Yeah. You know, the upper yeah. echelon, they are the elite. And I know people liberally spread, oh, elite, 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 elite youth. There's no such thing yeah. as elite youth, sorry. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're youth. They're 18. Chances of them making it to the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, whatever other major is is slim. There's no elite level sport until you are at the upper echelon of a professional sport like you say LeBron James Kobe Bryant etc etc whoever the guys are today I, I'm not quite sure I'm not a, I'm not a baller but <laughs> you know I can tell you the rugby lads yeah. and that's but that's the level that most of the guys who I've seen do exceptionally well have aspired to be elite level not just be mm. good level professionals and that's the sort of it's the integration of all these moving parts, isn't it? And it's also living the professional lifestyle 24-7. And I think that's the challenge that burns athletes out as well, is that if you do make the right choices all of the time, it is, it's all-encompassing. And, you know, Federer, um, LeBron, and all those, allegedly, I don't know their, their schedules, but sleep is absolutely vital to the yeah. point where they prioritise it. Nutrition is absolutely vital. They prioritise it. And these are the other things as a, as a strength and conditioning coach, I again learn and talk about and try and immerse myself in the athlete education piece. Because for me, you can, again, you can have the best paper program ever, but if the guys are partying till three, they're eating terribly, they're not recovering properly, you're actually not getting the best out of that, that programming anyway. Regardless, and yeah, so yeah. your job as a coach is to, like you say, coactively educate. Mm-hmm impact on behavioral change because you can only impact on them for the four to six hours they're in the training building for example so what are they doing what are they doing in um their time off you don't want to be invasive don't get me wrong but you want to make sure that 90 percent of the time they're eating properly 100 percent of the time they're getting seven to nine hours of sleep a night maybe ideally more but it's it's yep. impractical at times i get that but those are the things that actually are more impactful than sometimes your programming I mean, as a coach, you're a performance coach. You're looking at psychology. You're looking at supplementation. You're looking at nutrition. You're looking at sleep. You're looking at hydration. And those things aren't technically strength and conditioning, but they obviously layer up with strength yeah. and conditioning. That's obvious. But it's, but it's like you know, you're what, making more impact without actually coaching. Absolutely. I, I think that, and I'm still geeky about like the program design stuff and, and you know learning on that side of things. 
But about seven years ago, I, I dove hardcore into psychology, behavior change, you know, pedagogy, social mm -hmm. environments, like yeah, all, like yeah, everything, yeah. everything that can influence the person yeah. to do the stuff that's going to make them the best, you sure. know. And and I don't, when I when I went into it, I was so intrigued by it that that like I, I got almost obsessed with it, you know, because yeah. I, I saw it even in my own life. It's like, well, we know what to do. But why don't we do it? You know, how, and then how do you get these guys mm -hmm. at super high levels or, you know, anybody to just have them move that dial yeah. more yeah. towards optimal? You know, like it, it, yeah. it's it is the synchronicity for me of all the moving parts mm -hmm. and doing, you know, mastery and high performance. They, everyone says that, oh, high performance is about spending money on fancy toys. No, high performance is about doing the basics extraordinarily Ex yeah, well. And that, and that might sound cliche and a little bit kind of. But it is. It's That's just fucking truth. is. You know, it's that like mastery yeah. of yourself involves discipline. Do you want to do mindfulness at the end of the day to just decompress? Some do, some don't. Do you want to write a journal? Do you want to reflect? Do do players even think that way? You know, do you? I mean, Jeremy Shepard, who's not far from here, who's an absolute gun of a performance coach working in Canada snowboard. You know, some of the stuff he thinks about around sort of the the, the mental is absolutely fantastic. And like again, I'm so so fortunate that someone like that's in sort of my kind of professional network because they're inspirational to us as coaches to just not just like you say go down the rabbit hole of purely physical preparation, but all the things that surround that. Self care is massive as a coach and as a player, and all those things can kind of tease out in terms of how you choose to live your life without being kind of the monk who's sitting in Tibet. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. Like, yeah. You know, but excuse me, making. Making better choices more often as a player will ultimately allow you to extend your career, which we started to talk about a little bit off air, because that's what we're in the, in the job of doing as well. We're trying to give athletes the best possible opportunity, one, like I say, to showcase next week, but also future competitions, but also have career longevity, because ultimately in professional sport particularly, career longevity to the point where you add a year, you add a two year, you add a three year to the end of someone's career because they look after themselves effectively is actually setting them up quite nicely for retirement because in pro sport, that could be a seven figure income for another three years, yeah. which is a healthy, which is a healthy retirement fund. I mean, we don't get, sadly, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Us guys yeah. who are working on the, on the flip side aren't quite making those sort of numbers, but we have the, we do have the ability to impact that positively on someone's career whereby yeah. If you can extend someone's career by three years, they've, they've got some healthy game. earning potential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it might not just be about the money. It might be, like you've suggested also, it might be about helping the person and helping them become a better person outside of their sport. Mm -hmm. And that too is a massively fulfilling um, you know, process. I think, I, mean, I, th I think for all of us, it's probably one of the massive. things that, I mean, I know for me, it's what pulled me in. Mm was that fulfillment yeah, you know massive uh, massive uh, and it goes back to that conversation we had around the going to the olympics right at the front end of the show where the girl who went to the olympics one i still have enormous respect for she's not she's a retired athlete now and transitioning out of sport has been a challenge for her and i don't don't need to name any names but also like i said the the diligence and the the person that she was helped me become a better coach mm. because it was just so fulfilling to see someone work so hard to achieve a goal and did achieve a goal and that, that was from the the discipline of high performance day in day out meal prepping you know it's not a diet it's meal prepping yeah. not diet yeah. you know you know what i mean yeah. you're fueling performance whatever it yeah. might be everything was goal orientated to get to the olympics and beyond 
and it's like that takes an enormous not not many people as i think some of those cliches again not many people have the dedication to prepare they have the dedication to play their sport week in week out but they don't have the dedication to literally delve into the attention to detail which is where i feel like true greatness comes from like is 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 from that and I think that yeah, absolutely. And I think that not enough people, you know, coaches too. You've been bringing this up throughout the show. It's one thing that I've noticed. um, You know, shining a light on on all these athletes and what they've taught you, and I I think it's phenomenal. I think it's actually a really big lesson that regardless if you work with athletes, with you, like I mean, we have some exceptional just human beings. I mean, I think we have just amazing clients and members, and there's so many amazing things that they do. But so so often you're so focused on yourself that you actually can't learn, mm. you know, these amazing oh. things that they do. Like there, there, there's clients here that are, you know, that we could learn from that are so much better at stuff that we don't, you know, what I mean? that we don't do. And Absolutely. I, I, and that it, goes back full, full circle to the personal training piece. Yeah. So many people in that domain taught me so much about becoming a better coach subliminally without I've reflected back and found out. And like I said, I champion personal training now because i know there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of kind of um what's the word jesus um egos and um what's the (laughs) this is the first time i've got tongue tied i'm sorry i'll call it the thing is i'm an hour in it'll Um, come to it will come to me it's bugging me uh what's it i mean i i know that but probably one of the things that there's a there's a distinct like even right when you talk in in the industry some people will be very, very uh, upset. It's like, oh, you're, you're, you're a coach or you're a trainer. No, I'm a strength coach. You know, it's, it's like yeah. I'm a personal trainer. I'm a strength. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's this huge differentiation, yeah. but we're really all coaches and we're trying to do the same thing, yeah, maybe, for, maybe for a different population. Yeah. But um, I think that that's, you know, become like one of those fucking things that's just like very, very ego-driven. Oh, no, 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 no I'm a collegiate strength coach. Yes. Yeah, I'm a, uh, but, you know, you're, you're training at the big box gym, you know, you, <laughs> you know? or the other yeah, way around. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter, yeah. right? And it, not understanding that, like, that, I think that that divide just it, it doesn't do anything. No, it is know? dividing. Like, it is dividing, yeah. and it's like, like I say, the continuum is you either dealing with one person, five people, ten people, fifteen people. You should be in the industry to serve and and basically facilitate growth of the person who's in front of you. Agree. Now with, I know we, we missed sort of four quadrants. Yeah. So moving into quadrant four. Yeah, quadrant four is essentially the guy the guy who can look after themselves. But do you know what the irony is of quadrant four? Quadrant four is someone who's actually going to ask more questions and almost get back to the go full circle to one, and actually have you the coach. It's almost like relearning. Re, yeah, go back to yeah. yeah because they've evolved as well. So yeah. just say that over that quadrant one to four, that may be a 10, 12, 15 year period. So there's very few, unfortunately, in this day and age, there's very few coaches who are going to work from an athletes from their, for the, from their player's infancy through to their full kind of career yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, progression. That's very, very so I was, Yeah, I mean, I was lucky. But, I mean, but you know what, though? When you say that, I actually, I actually think that um, for coaches, what happens is coaches go from being in quadrant one to two to three, like, hey, I'm kind of... And they go to four, like I can do it all myself. But I think coaches need to go back to quadrant yeah, one yeah. to become better. You know, like yeah. it, it's, yeah. I, I still, I revisiting mean, revisiting everything, revisiting, yeah. having yeah. somebody like I, I seriously, I'm very, very, uh, you know, 
I'm like, hey, listen, man, I, I want to do like eight to twelve weeks of straight up VBT and like mm-hmm. let's 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 yeah. mess around with it. Yeah. Like you could, you know, yeah. let's do it. I'll be the guinea pig and sure. I'm gonna learn and you're gonna you know I'm I'm Absolutely. I'm let's all about that stuff. Yeah. But that to me, that's going from, you know, because there's I'm like I, I feel very confident in my in my programming. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like I've I'm an obsessive human being, so like I, this all I fucking do is mm-hmm. study. Yeah, sure. But but it's like to drop that and go like, yep, I'm just blank slate. Let me go to Quadrant yeah. One and be guided, you yeah, know. And sure. I think that. Well, do you know what? That's what they want. So some of those Quadrant Four athletes, they, they players, actually want that. rather, yeah. yeah. And they yeah. W- and they will end up having the prescription off the coach, especially if they've got a very very strong and positive and trustful relationship with that yes. coach. So I'll I'll give you just a quick case study. I was I was fortunate enough to basically work with a couple of Welsh guys who went from the Blues Academy right the way through to senior international level in the nine years that I was in the in the program. That's amazing. Subsequently, some of them retired. But that is the opportunity to go from quadrant one to quadrant two to quadrant three to quadrant four. So over a 10-year period, nine-year period. Yeah. But yeah, the guys, they, they wanted, even at the highest level, playing for their country, captaining their country, um, being world-renowned in their particular sport and having a very high profile, they wanted that connectivity with the coach. They wanted to be part of the process. They wanted to be immersed in their own physical development. Some guys, are like, they were like, give me the program, I'll just get on with it. Some guys really, really immerse themselves into the whys. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Not in, a, not in a, an aggressive manner, but they want to know why we're doing everything. I, lo- I actually love that. that. I love that. I too. love that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you're almost auditing your program through your athletes yeah. all of the time. Why are we doing this? Why? And that also helps you strip away stuff that's unnecessary really and that yeah. helps you realize that yeah so and so and the one great thing about that particular time period in my life was that the very fast twitch fiber guys needed way less volume so sam needed less volume than a guy called bradley who's another an unbelievable character again sto- stories for off air on those kind of characters but he was a workhorse he was a second row player one was a back row player one was an outside back and you're just balancing the demands of each individual sports player, but also each individual's physiology. And you could find out that through your, your benchmarking you know what's crazy and your profiling like, and all that stuff. You brought that up. Jay just put up a post. We talk about it all the time. That, that guys that usually put on a ton of muscle, easier, mm-hmm. right, are usually very laid back in life. Very mm-hmm. parasympathetic. Yeah, no, I saw that. I saw that this yeah, morning. Yeah, we, great, we've talked about post. that for years. Mm-hmm. And like, you know... I mean, I've got a good amount of muscle now, but I'm a nutcase. Like me and Jay, like we're we're just sympathetic. You know, I hit the ground running. I'm mm-hmm. I'm crazy, right? And so you need, you know, it's it's different. Like th- those people actually need less volume, you know, and a lot of times less intensity. Um, and you, you bring that up, mm-hmm. and it's like, how, but how did you how do you learn those things? Unless you're, I mean, sure, you study the greats and you learn from the greats, and you you know you go into the courses and the books and the certs and. But a lot of that stuff is like, you know, it's like Louis Simmons says, the answers are found in a weight room yeah. or, or in a field. Time, you know. time under the bar and all time, that. Time and under the right. bar. And that's it, where, it, again, it, it goes back to that human element. Yeah. And there's been a ton of trial and error. And like you've suggested, if I, if I look back and reflect on some of the things I did, I made mistakes. But also, you've got to, you've got to learn from those mistakes, but you've also got to have the, the open mind to challenge yourself, learn from other areas of, performance and it might not be that strength and power is your was your strength so you go down that road it might be the speed was your strength so you 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 bias towards that whatever it might be but you you have got to keep immersing yourself in the learning process to the point where you've got to be open to ideas and it might be open to ideas from outside your domain as well 
creativity in the industry like the Red Bull type athlete and those kind of action sports athletes they inspire me all the time oh yeah because they're doing things that are off the wall oh it's crazy, you crazy. Did, uh, did you read the, the, the book The Rise of Superman no who's that great oh, that, great book yeah. I, uh, it's the same guy that uh, Jamie Neal he wrote Stealing Fire. Yeah, Stealing Fire. So I read yeah. that. Love it. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah. he he wrote, wrote the first book, Rise of Superman, which okay. which really kind of goes into how, you know how to that the people that figured out how to get into the zone the and what the zone state. truly is, yeah. right? That yeah, the flow state. Yeah. yeah. That nobody's done it better than than uh, extreme sport athletes. Sure. And if well, you look crazy. at it, it's nuts. I mean, but the thing is, like, th think about you know what it says is like look at Olympic weightlifting. You know, last forty years, the record has been broken by this much, mm -hmm. right? But in Olympic in, in extreme sports. They said that nobody will ever do be able to do a forward backflip, you know, uh, on on a, on a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And then Travis was mm -hmm. did it, it twice. twice. Yep. And then now yep. there's now there's you know now there's kids do, or nobody will be able to do a t 10 20, mm -hmm. you know, on a skateboard. Yep. And then a 14 year old kid do yep. it after, yep. you know, it, because big air, big air. When you when you win Olympic gold in Sochi in 2018, you won't even get on the podium with that score in 2022. Right. That's crazy. That's it's, and that's why I love about obviously talking with Jeremy and that whole yep. wheelhouse there. But that's because the, the limits are so stretched. Look at what the, look where the Olympics are going as well with the sports they're, they're involving. Like you say, skateboarding. I I mean, traditionalists will probably be freaking out, but I love all that. Yeah. You're, you're integrating real life, evolving life, skateboarding. Uh, it's evolution. Speed, I mean, speed climbing, snowboarding. Yeah, agree. Whatever else is going into the, you know, it's it's awesome because it also, from our point of view as practitioners, challenges us to learn faster than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Because you know those guys in big air are coming down from 30, 40 feet. It's, it's you know it's you think insane. about the the science and the physics involved in that sort of stuff. You've got some some sort of high level academics, but you've also got the practicalities of if you don't land this, you're, yeah, you're, trauma, you're broken. Yeah. You don't. You're, it's hospital yeah. or podium. Yeah. It's hospital or gold yeah. medal. Yeah. It's like and those guys, the psychology of that. You see, that's about the that. Physiology. Yes, that was what I was going to say. Is like, do we have more to learn from? pushing those limits where somebody's like, well, I know I could die, mm. but I'm going to go for I, it. Yeah. And it's like the one that they got... They still go for they, it. They go for it. And then <laughs> no. it was uh, I, the guy that free, that, that free climb, uh, yeah. which, which yeah, that... amazing. He, uh, he, uh, Alex Holland. Ha Alex Hammond. Yeah. Hammond. Was it? Alex Honnold. That's it. Yeah. You get his and it, surname they, right. They said it's, it was a four-hour climb. But it said every single... Basically, they said, well, there was 900 opportunities for him to make a mistake, and at each one of them, he'd be dead. Mm-hmm. 900 times you pick the right one but but the thing is how, how many times do you you know would you bet that on your right like and oh, you no. spent years but that's a mental type of, and you go you go and, and we need to but going back to that free solo just quickly sorry to put, um, cut across you look how much high performing preparation went into that he managed and visualized that whole face for I don't know years. How, I think it was, it was nine years. years I think it was yeah. nine years altogether so that, yeah because that's being prepared to take high performance to the absolute elite level and that not many people have got the diligence to prepare to do anything yeah. of that particular nature felix bumgartner jumping out of that stratospheric spaceship at yeah. 120 so i watched that live and i was like we're thinking about it's great don't get me wrong collision sport gladiatorial rugby football anyth anything on the ground i took massive inspiration from yeah, too, the yeah. high performance that goes into someone moving through the air at 600 and something miles an hour from 100 from space landing surviving taking human performance and potential to absolutely new heights yeah. that inspires me as a performance coach yeah. and it's not just like oh yeah 
my five by five or my five by three or my four by four. That is just bullshit. <laughs> he jumped out of space. <laughs> what program was he on? Yeah. Who did it? It's, it's the co-active nature yeah, of all yeah. of those moving parts. Yeah. What did he do? Yeah. Well, I tell you what he had to get his, his right first, probably his breath work. Yeah, because he's not going to pass out going 600 miles an hour, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And I mean, if you I, I, there's a little documentary, I don't know if you yeah, watched no, it, but, like, it, yeah. it, but it, but it was Mike like Gervais did the psychology stuff. Who's local? Yeah. He's a Seahawks sports psychologist. All those moving parts fascinate me. And if you have that level of curiousness, you will continue to hopefully thrive in the performance environment. That kind of is, is and, we'll, kind and of that's the the, that's what I love about it. Like we'll never get there because what is there like it's I just going to keep well, moving someone's you know? going to move the goalposts yeah exactly you know he went from 128,000 feet i think someone else broke it relatively quickly soon after i can't remember the name really? but he was the pioneer yeah. so i only remember his name but someone else will jump from 150 someone else will then jump from cape canaveral or i don't know what's up there <laughs> you know well you know <laughs> some some satellite yeah. up there something whatever yeah but that yeah. that is human performance and yeah. like you said we're trying to push the boundaries in 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 traditional sports which is great but there are people out there, and this goes back to the this sort of whole performance mindset of, you know, anyone from Google's execs to Amazon's execs to Boeing's execs to fighter pilots to military to, you know, the world is endless, and that's the or the opportunities are endless. That's what frustrates me about coaches who think there's no opportunities. There are. You've just got to think about them in a slightly different uh, frame. Yeah. That's and the big one. For and me. I would I would say that. More, more than ever, and I would say, you know, for, for years and years now, you, you read Range from from, yep. from David Epstein. Yeah, well, I'm actually three quarters through. Yeah, but yeah. It's a, it's a little bit. It's a great book. It's a little dry, but it's great. But it's, you know, and I, to me, that's the, the I'm I'm grateful and fortunate that I've been involved in in, in so many things in my life, some stupid things, uh, but have also <laughs> and helped me. And and uh, but what it's done is like allowed me to really think laterally and and, and not be confined and you know yeah. like oh w whether i want to look at somebody that's the best gardener in the world i'm going to get something from them yeah. to be able to bring well, the, you know massive, strength that's initially. a you massive know? lesson and a massive um idea to share with young coaches who are quite blinkered in their thinking and actually think yes we still need to understand the fundamentals of strength and conditioning and the principles that apply and again not wanting to steal an altist kind of meme or whatever but Stu says the same. You've got to know what the rules are to, in to, order to, to, to be able break to break rules, them. Yeah. But I think a lot of our coaches in, in strength and conditioning particularly are quite blinkered to just strength and conditioning and not thinking outside of that for their learning and their, their practical application and their development. And that's and, a big and, and one to a degree, to take home. You know what I've, I've told uh, like S&C coaches and said, hey, man, go do a weekend with uh, you know the Four Seasons for customer experience. Massive. And they're like, and they're like, why would I do that? I see, you're okay. not getting it. No, this is you're exactly not getting it. Great you know, point. Like, great know. point. I think yeah. one of the th I follow, and I mean, I don't follow an enormous amount of people on uh, social media, but on Twitter, I follow um, Ritz Carlton Customer Service. Yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> because I, I was fortunate enough to have my honeymoon in at the Ritz Carlton, and um, going back a few years, I should know exactly which date, and I do, <laughs> but I won't, I won't share it online. But um, we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> no, no, put it in the show notes. But the the customer experience there like you said, just in terms of your, if you work in the service industry and we work in the service industry, like you say, you want to go and learn from some of the best when it comes to yeah, service provision and what yeah. they're prepared to do for their customer. Yeah. And, it, and, and it's, I follow, yeah, it's Ritz Carlton Leadership, I think, on social media. Real Ritz Carlton good. Leadership? Yeah. Take that down. Yeah. Um, but s same thing, you know, uh, I, I got really, really intrigued in, um, you know, social work. The social workers that that deal with trauma Dealing with, with difficult people crazy yeah, yeah, yeah and it's like it's, yeah it's, it's, it's not it's a circumstance sometimes do you think that if you got really good at that that you'd be able to deal better with 
do people that we coach have trauma and issues in life? Do we have fucking, sure, yeah, everybody does, right? So, I mean, yeah. it's just, the thing is to be able to go, like, get out, get out of this, you know, just mm -hmm. get out and come back and, like, mm -hmm. you'll be better, you know? Absolutely. Um, I think that's that's very, very crucial. And if more people, I think more people that are respected need to bring it to, to light, you know, yeah. so that, that somebody goes, like, oh, man, maybe I'll yeah. go do that. And I've, I've, mm -hmm. I'm going to, actually, a Danny Meyer, like, I'm a massive fan. I don't know if you, Danny Meyer, greatest restaurateur of our time, probably. Okay. Uh, 25 James Beard Awards. He started the Shake Shack, but right, yeah. but before Shake Shack, he has you know 12 restaurants that are unbelievable in New York City. Okay. Um, and one of my favorite business books slash it's 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 a story. It's a business book. It's customer experience. Is called Setting the Table. Right. I've reread it over and over and over mm -hmm. again. It's phenomenal. I'm also a foodie, and I'm going to New York for a four day. I, I and you know, thankfully, I know somebody that knows somebody really high up that works for the organization with Danny Meyer. I said, hey, listen, man, I can get you in here. It's a, and I'll still pay, which, you know, it's a pretty big chunk of money. To be sure. honest. It's like thousands of dollars to do four days. Yeah. Um, but, I'm, you know, I was like, I saw some man, I got to go to yeah. that because it's, you know, I mean, I'm such a big fan of anything that the, the, the hospitality group does, mm -hmm. but their philosophy around yeah. how they treat people, how they do, you know, and I'm like, I, I got to get in. Um, and. You know, some people are like, wouldn't you want to spend money? And I'm like, no, you, you see, you don't get it. Like, yeah, yeah. that might be the best money spent. And then everything that I've, you know, the things that I've learned in, mm -hmm. in strength and conditioning and fitness will probably be more useful with, with these insights, yeah. you know. And, and I think if we do that, we'll all be better. Mm -hmm. um, man, I, I know we're, we're going we're gonna to do another one because I, I, know, I know we could talk for forever, which is what I absolutely <laughs> love. But it's been a, it's been a pleasure what we said we'd do, we definitely did it. It was just like we went into conversation. <laughs> so I really talk for two hours. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate this, man. Someone it will listen and it was, take uh, some value from it. Definitely. I, I know this was definitely valuable. Um, where, where can, where can uh, people find out more about you, follow you, follow the Seawolves, obviously, uh, yep. at Seattle Seawolves Rugby? At Seattle Seawolves Rugby. On yeah. IG. Yep. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm very uh, predictable. Chris Tomb seventy one yeah. is uh, my Instagram and my Twitter feeds. Good, I'm, I'm gonna make be active, but I good. I'm gonna. I'm, that's, I'm, this is the thing is I'm gonna push more traffic to you, so yeah. you have to put up more of no, your sure. wisdom and knowledge. I'd love to put more. Um, I'd love to put more up, and that's yeah. Maybe in, uh, our, uh, collaborations. Of the uh, future, no, absolutely. And what, we we talked about this, but I'm kind of gonna. I'm for sure want to do this, but like doing a seminar for velocity based training, a VBT seminar here at Vigor. We're definitely gonna do that. Sure. Um, that that's a done deal. Uh, we'll just figure out the dates. We'll announce it. Um, I'm certainly, like I said, I've I've had some experience with it, but not nearly as much as as uh, Chris here. And so we definitely want to learn, you know. Awesome. Um, so we'll Brilliant. do that for sure. Follow Chris. Follow the Sea Wolves. Go to the games if you get tickets, because yes. you know they sell out, they my sell friend. Out. They sell they out. They sell um, out. Pretty damn popular here. But um, with that said, guys, as always, appreciate it. You know, share share it if you've loved it. Share it when you when we share. Everybody learns. Leave a review. Uh, there's, you know, I, I appreciate you guys tuning in. You could be anywhere else, but you're here listening to this. So thank you for that. I can't tell you how much it means to me. Uh, with that said, Coach Luca, Chris, we'll see you next time. Thank Peace you. out. Cheers.